there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in breaking into winemaking and wine growing, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest is the head winemaker at the Golan Heights Winery in Israel, the third largest winery in that country. But before I introduce you to Victor Schoenfeld, I want to make sure you've signed up to get a free copy of the Just Brew It ebook with amazing career advice from some of the rock star professionals who've been guests on T4C, including NPR journalist and podcaster Guy Raz, the host of the uber popular how I Built This Podcast, and Dr. Janet Yellen, the former chairwoman of the Federal Reserve Bank. And it is so easy to do. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and you'll see the sign-up box right there on the homepage. Now, my cold brew and Chardonnay lovers, hopefully not at the same time, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Victor Schoenfeld, head winemaker at the Golan Heights Winery in the northern region of Israel. Over the almost two decades that Victor's been at the winery, he's become a driving force in the emergence of Israel's modern wine industry. Under his leadership, Golan Heights Winery and Yarden Wines, one of the four labels produced at the winery, have won numerous awards, including top honors as a Wine Spectator Top 100 Wine of the Year in 2008 and again in 2018. They've also received the special Grand Vinitali Award for the Best Winery in the World in 2011 and a Wine Enthusiast Top 100 Wine of the Year in 2014, all first for a winery from Israel. Victor is a pioneer in the application of new technology and winemaking techniques, including Israel's most sophisticated meteorological stations, precision viticultural analysis, irrigation management, and green practices such as composting and wind-generated electricity. Victor, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I have a double espresso with me as we speak. Hi, Andrea. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, it is such a pleasure. So what kind of espresso coffee do you like? Well, it's late here in Israel, so I've already worked a full day. So I had a double espresso from our home machine. Oh, okay. Got it. I have been so looking forward to this interview, Victor, for months and months because I'm absolutely fascinated by winemaking and I am so excited to get the opportunity to learn more about it. Well, it's definitely a fascinating subject. I agree with you there. Okay, wonderful. And we should also let our listeners know that even though you live in Israel right now, you are an American by birth, which is why you have an American accent. True. Born and raised in California. And actually, I have to correct you, I'm close to three decades in my job at this point. Oh, my gosh. You know, my math is so bad. I can't tell you. I did it in my head and clearly I missed a decade. So sorry about that. What's a decade between friends? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we are going to frame 
these espresso shots around wine making and wine growing. The first espresso shot, what entry-level jobs, Victor, are available to young people who want to break into this industry? Well, it depends if you have a degree already. If you don't have a degree, you can kind of get into the industry just by getting a job at a winery as a production worker, working in a vineyard. But if you eventually want to go onto the path to get a more professional job in the industry, you're probably going to want to get a degree at some point. Those entry-level jobs would be maybe a lab technician or something called an enologist, which is wine scientist, but kind of the first rung on the winemaking ladder. If you're on the wine growing side, assistant, vineyard manager, and as I said, a cellar worker is a good place to start. Terrific. What about a useful, hard and soft skill that you look for in the young people that you hire at the Golan Heights Winery? Well, I have to admit they're both critical. So hard skills, I mean, I definitely look for someone with uh, academic knowledge and then more useful skills, being able to use Excel, spreadsheets, pivot tables. But the soft skills, I don't see them as, you know, more or less important. They're equally important. They're equally critical. I can tell you that I don't feel like working with a very qualified but unpleasant person again in my life. The people have to be team players, so they have to be sensitive to the people around them. They have to be positive. They have to be team players. They have to work for everybody to succeed. So really, everything is is important. Yeah. You're looking for somebody who is an amicable kind of personality. Yeah. And it's positive, not I, cynical. I love it. You've alluded to this. Is someone's major a deciding factor to get into this profession? And I guess, is it a deal breaker if they haven't studied winemaking? And another way of saying that is enology. Is that right? Yeah, it's viticulture, which is the wine growing part of it, and enology, which is the wine science wine. Really, viticulture is the science of the vine, and enology is the science of wine, but it's really uh, wine growing and winemaking. I wouldn't say I would never consider somebody without a degree, but somebody with a degree has a huge advantage. And the reason I say that is, you know, we work with vineyards and they're outside. It's in nature. Every season is different and we're making a natural product. There's so much unknown in what we do, which is part of the fun because it gives us infinite ways to investigate what we're doing. But because there's so much unknown, I really don't think it makes sense not to know the part that we can know. And just the most efficient way to get your knowledge up to speed is by getting a degree. Okay. What about a graduate school degree? And maybe less so for those who are just starting out in the field, more so for somebody who one day would like to be a head winemaker. You know, it's not 100% necessary, at least when I was in school. And I think it's still this way, that most of the people that get graduate degrees did not get undergraduate degrees in viticulture and enology. So for instance, one of my best friends, he was first a chemical engineer and got bored working in a rubber factory and decided he wanted to do something that he felt a connection to. And then he came back to get his winemaking degree. So I actually have just a Bachelor of Science in winemaking. I think the biggest advantage of a graduate degree is just having uh, experience with doing research. 
because research, the ability to do research and think about how to do research is just becoming more and more a part of agriculture in general and definitely wine growing, which I think probably the most complicated agriculture that we can do. And why do you say that? About the complicated? Exactly. If we think about what wine is made out of, and we just like take some general numbers, 85% water, 14% alcohol, a half a percent of acids like tartaric acid, and then a half a percent of maybe several thousand other compounds. And those several other thousand other compounds, which is maybe a half a percent of what's in wine, that's where the quality of wine lies. And so to understand in what conditions the vine in your specific region really starts to make those compounds is really still quite a bit of a mystery. And the vines are making those compounds because they're what we call secondary metabolites, but they're competition factors. So if the vine is too happy, if the life is too easy, it doesn't make those because it doesn't feel like it needs to compete. But if life is too tough, it doesn't have the physical capability to make all those compounds. So we're always in this very delicate window of some kind of stress, which is really where the vine flourishes. Oh, really? See, I would not have guessed that. It's when it's under stress that it's doing the best or producing the best grapes? Yeah, because that vine feels enough tension to really invest in its grapes so that when a bird, let's say, comes into the vineyard to eat a berry, the vine will make sure that the bird eats its berries and not the vines next to it. But it has to have the physical capability to make all those compounds. So it can't be too stressed, but it needs to be a bit stressed. So it's a very, very fine window. My gosh. Well, I should also let our listeners know if they want to learn more about what Victor does as the head winemaker at the Golan Heights Winery, they should check out the show notes for this episode to see if Victor's main time for coffee episode has already dropped. Victor, what kind of life experiences do you think are most useful for someone starting out in this field? Well, you know, if you look at the average age of somebody going into winemaking studies, it's not your typical 18-year-old college student. A lot of the people have done something else, and they've come to the conclusion that they want to spend their working life doing something that they're passionate about. Whatever life experiences leads you to that point, I think that's important. But And another thing is that you're not – very few people get very rich from making wine. So if, you know, serious wealth is one of your major goals, then this is probably not the right profession. But I can tell you after I graduated in 1988, so I've been doing this now for 32 years, for myself, I couldn't think of a more satisfying career for myself. One of the things that I noticed, because I've had the advantage of looking at your resume, is that when you were, I think it was even before you went to college, you worked in a fine wine store in Palo Verdes, California, and you were helping customers choose wines and liquors from a whole variety of both domestic and imported products. And also before college, you were a vineyard manager. So do you think those kinds of experiences could be useful? Well, definitely one of the reasons I got into winemaking was that I already kind of had fallen in love with wine. I'm sure at that age, at that wine shop, I was not giving very good advice to the customer. (laughs) 
And then I actually took a year off from college to be a vineyard manager, much to my parents' chagrin, because I had actually started my studies on the wine growing side. And then I took a year off. I was a vineyard manager, and that's when I decided I wanted to study winemaking because winemaking is really the umbrella, and wine growing is part of the winemaking process. At that time, you had to study either wine growing or winemaking, but now they've combined it, which is much more sensible. So you could get a degree now in enology and viticulture. My degree was actually, at that time, was called fermentation science with a specialty in enology, wine science. Got it. But what I love about that. And when I say that, I mean the fact that you worked in a wine store. Do you think that that is the kind of experience that could be useful for somebody in sort of exposing them to all the different kinds of wine? Or do you think it's just a way to earn some money? Oh, no. You know, at some point, people that get into wine, if they you know let themselves get into a certain depth, figure out that Good wine is just a reflection of the specific place where that wine was grown and made. So it's really kind of a a virtual kind of tourism in some way. So it might be hard to, especially now, to hop on a plane and go to Tuscany, but you can go to your wine shop and buy a Tuscan wine and taste it and have a bit of that Tuscany with you in your home. So the geography of the wine world is endless. I don't know of anybody that's gotten into wine and then has gotten bored with it and has left it. It's something that you, it's like quicksand, you more pleasant than quicksand, but it's something you know that grabs you and you just kind of get deeper and deeper. I'm still learning all the time and I've been doing it full time now for over three decades. Well, I think you've almost answered the next question, which is, what is the best part for you, Victor, of being in this profession? It's hard to say because there's so many different parts to being in the profession, but, you know, winemaking, it's seasonal. So we're not like a chef that go into a restaurant and make dinner and make a meal service, and then they do it again the next night. We work in units of a year. So even to plant a vineyard and then to harvest it for the first time in its fourth year. And if the quality is good enough and we put it in barrel for a year and a half, and then it sits in a bottle for another year, and then it's released. I mean, we're talking pretty long term. And so when you want to make changes in vineyards and in the way you grow things, these are all really long term processes. So to see those long term projects come to fruition, to have a vision of something and then work towards that for a long time and then to see it really come into itself. Those are really exciting moments. And what about the flip side? Because I can imagine with all those moving pieces and and so much complexity to the winemaking process, there have to be aspects that are super challenging. What is the part of your current job that sucks the most, Victor? For me personally, it would be like the pure management side of things. So developing budgets for the new year, getting monthly budget reports and saying, you know, where we are and why we're overspending in some, you know, vineyard or things like that. The real technical stuff. I didn't get into winemaking to be a manager. That's what's happened. And I tried to do it as best that I can. But kind of the technical side of management is not I don't find it fun. Yeah, nobody likes doing the bill paying stuff. (laughs) The number crunching. Victor, what is the best career advice you've ever got? 
There's a few pieces of advice that I pass on also to my team. One is that when you find yourself in a hole, the first thing to do is to stop digging. So something has happened. First of all, don't make it worse. Especially in winemaking, once we do something, it's basically a burn bridge. So if you're not sure, you stop, you reassess, and then you make decisions and you move on. I think another very important thing, more personal maybe, is you have to be true to yourself. So you have to be whole with what you're doing. And if you're not happy where you are and what you're doing, I think it's funny coming for me because I've had the same job for so long. But I never was complacent in a way that I said, I'm going to be here for 20 or 30 years. I never imagined that. And there were some times in my career where I told my wife, listen, we're having this meeting tomorrow and I'm not sure which way it's going to go. But if it doesn't go the way I want it to go, it looks like I'll be leaving the winery. And so I always kept this kind of, not aloofness, but realism in that I could get a new boss and we might not get along. And, you know, that's not sustainable. So you always have to be thinking about possible next steps. Absolutely. Great advice. Two final espresso shots, Victor. What movies, if any, or Hulu, Netflix, Amazon shows, or books do you think accurately depict your profession? I don't think there is one. I can't think of one that accurately depicts our profession. Unfortunately, it's not very... Watching a chef cook is kind of sexy, but watching a vineyard come to life over four years, that gets a little slow, I guess. So it's not very visually friendly. It has not really anything to do with the winemaking exactly, but I did enjoy Sideways, I have to admit. Yeah, I was just thinking of that movie when you were you mentioned it. What was it that you thought was maybe gave you a little window into the industry? From Sideways? Yeah. Well, it is true, like his love interest is saying, you know, here we're drinking something and who knows the people that made this, grew this wine and made it, who knows how many of them are still alive. And I have a wine room at home and it has, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of bottles of wine. Many are quite old and I often do think of those things. You're drinking something that people that made it might not even be around anymore. Every bottle of wine tells a story of some kind, where it was made, how it was made, who made it. So it's something to reflect when you drink a bottle. Final espresso shot. What would Java junkies be surprised to learn about your profession, Victor? They'd be surprised to learn how, on the one side, scientific it is, because we do use a lot of science. As I said before, there's so much that we don't know that we try to learn as much as we can. So They'd be surprised by the number of maps that we have of our vineyards. And it could be vine vigor maps. It could be soil conductivity maps. It could be wood index maps of a vineyard. I mean, with precision viticulture, we see our vineyards in a much different way than we used to. So you used to have a vineyard block. You would go out and measure a couple of points and you'd have a number for that block. Now we look, we're using maps and satellite images and we're looking at the variation within a vineyard block. So it's a completely different way to look at things and it's much more complex. And so it's endlessly complex. It's endlessly fascinating. And with all the science that we're using, there's still huge mysteries. 
Well, we're going to try to unpack some of the mysteries around winemaking in our main time for coffee interview, in which we're going to dig into what Victor does as the head winemaker at the Golan Heights Winery. Check out show notes to see if that episode has already dropped. Victor, thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the time for coffee community. This was just fascinating. My great pleasure. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.